Welcome to the Christ Walk Podcast. At Christ Walk Church, we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. Enjoy the message. Good morning, Christ Walk. Merry Christmas. How is everybody doing today? So good to see you guys. So good to see you guys. If you got your Bible, you got a smart device, I want to encourage you to swipe with me, turn with me to um, the New Testament to the Gospel of Matthew. In case you're not aware, the Bible's divided up into two large sections of Scripture. Up front, we have the Old Testament, and then that second section, we have the New Testament. Um, and we're going to look at the first of the four Gospels. We call these books the Gospels because Gospel means good news. And these books are good news because they tell the story of the life and teachings of Jesus. And so we are going to take a look in Matthew chapter 2, and we'll land there in just a minute. Um, We are uh, closing out a series today that we've been calling Searching for Christmas, where we've been taking a look at what the Bible says about the true meaning of Christmas to see if we can figure out some ways to to find that true meaning in our lives in the midst of all of the chaos and the turmoil and the busyness of the season that comes along with what is Christmas. And two weeks ago, we, we kicked off our series by taking a look at an Old Testament prophecy from the book of Isaiah about a baby that was going to be born who would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then we fast forward to the New Testament and that prophecy is fulfilled in the Gospels when this baby named Jesus comes on the scene. And and the Gospel of John tells us that he was the light of the world. And because he came from heaven and stepped into the darkness of this world as the light of all men, that because he has overcome the darkness, then through him we can overcome the darkness that is in our lives as well. And last week we looked at another prophecy from the book of Isaiah, which says that this child that's going to be born, that, that he, would, he would be born to a virgin and that he would be called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And then we fast forward again to the Gospels of the New Testament, and we see in Matthew chapter 1 that, that it, was, it was prophesied that Mary, who was a virgin, would give birth to a baby and that they would name him Jesus because he had come to save his people from their sins and that he would be known as Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And we learned that Christmas is not about presence. It's about his presence. That's what we learned. And so today for the next few minutes, I want to talk to you for a little bit about extravagance. I want to talk to you about extravagance. If you ask me, Christmas is most definitely a season of extravagance. And to explain what I mean, let me, let me give you um, what the, the, the dictionary lists as the definitions for the word extravagance and see if maybe any of these can ring a bell in what you might have experienced during this Christmas season. All right, so when you look up extravagance in the dictionary, the, the, first, um, the first entry there, uh, number one, says spending much more than is necessary or wise. Wasteful, 
See, this is the time of year where a lot of people, and, and for those of you that you may follow Dave Ramsey or other financial gurus, he, he says that, that this is the time of year, and, and, and maybe you've experienced this in your own life, where we blow our budget to smithereens. We might have been doing good, you know, January through November, and then we get to December, and it just flies all out the window, and all that good stuff that we did, all the, all the ways that we set ourselves up for success for the first 11 months of the year, we get to the 12th month, and it just, just, you know, just goes away. A 2018 study revealed that 44% of Christmas shoppers racked up over $1,000 of credit card debt at Christmas, and that 5% of shoppers accumulated more than $5,000 of credit card debt at Christmas. That means that we're taking money that we don't have to buy things that we don't need to give to people that some of us, we don't even like them. And we're going in debt to do it, spending much more than is necessary or wise, what is wasteful. The second definition, excessively high, excessively high. I've noticed that at Christmas time, there's never a temptation to buy the older, slower, smaller model, right? Like there's no commercials on TV right now for used cars, Okay, there's, there's no ads for the iPhone 5 right now. Like, that's just, that's not, that's not happening. And, and no one's trying to sell you the 40-inch TV. They're trying to sell you the 128-inch TV, right? Like, because that's, that's, what we, that's what we need. Why settle for the 40-inch when you could have a TV wall? You know, that's what you need. And the prices on this stuff, just forget about it. Like, come on. The prices are, you talk about excessively high, like sticker shock. That's what I'm talking about. The third definition of extravagant is exceeding the bounds of reason as actions, demands, opinions, or passions. And, and for a real live look at what this definition means, go to YouTube and search Black Friday Fight and just spend the afternoon. All right, that's what that definition, and, and if you haven't seen any of those videos, it's worse than you can imagine. Okay, people arguing over a Barbie doll and fist fighting over a, a Roomba vacuum and Lord knows what else. The fourth definition, going beyond what is deserved or justifiable. Going beyond what is deserved or justifiable. Now Christmas, it is the season of giving, right? It's, it's when we, we turn our attention and, and, and we want to give to other people. We give because we've been given so extravagantly. So we give in return to celebrate that. And, but did you know that there, there's actually a holiday car commercial right now for Christmas 2019 peddling SUVs that says, don't forget to put this Christmas, don't forget to put the U, Y-O-U, in SUV, says, don't forget about you this Christmas. Don't forget about yourself this holiday season. Why? Because you deserve it. You deserve it. And then they, then they flash it up, how much it costs and everything. Really? That's what I deserve? I deserve crippling debt for the next six or seven years? Like, have I really been that bad? Like, what happened to just a lump of coal like Santa used to bring? Now, this is what I deserve. 
But there's a fifth version of, fifth definition of the word extravagant. But for some reason, the dictionary labels this one as archaic, which means we don't use this definition anymore. It's old and it's out of style and it doesn't mean this. It's the, the word is transformed to be something different. But, but I think that it's this particular definition that, that truly encapsulates the meaning of Christmas so much better than all the rest. And this definition, the fifth definition of extravagant is wandering beyond the boundary. Wandering beyond the boundary. Here's the problem with that definition of extravagant. It's from an early age, you and I, we've been taught to stay inside of the boundary and to not wander outside of it. In kindergarten, our teacher handed us crayons and said, be sure to color inside the lines, right? We got a little bit older and we started playing sports and our coach said, hey, be sure and keep the ball inside the lines, we get a little bit older and we start driving and we go to our driver's ed course or, or we're in the car with our parents and they're teaching us and what do they say? Be sure and keep the car inside the lines. But what might it look like for us to wander outside the boundary this Christmas? See, the good news for you and for me today is the Bible paints an incredible picture of exactly what this does look like. And it just so happens that it's found in part of what we would include as the Christmas story from the scripture. So if you got your Bible or your smart device, let's jump there together to Matthew chapter two and take a look. We're gonna start with verse one and read following that. My Bible reads this way. It says in verse one of Matthew chapter two, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. And about that time, some wise men from Eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him, verse three. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem and Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote, verse six. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will shepherd, be the shepherd for my people Israel. And then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men and he learned much from the time, he, he learned much from them the time when the, the, the star first appeared, excuse me. In verse eight, then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshiped him. And then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold frankincense, and myrrh. 
And when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Now, you want to talk about extravagance. You want to talk about some men that, that wandered outside the boundaries, both literally and figuratively. I believe the story of the wise men is just that. And the area in which they were most extravagant was, was in their worship. And, and in fact, I believe that at the very core of Christmas and the story is an invitation for you and for me to come and worship. So if you're taking notes, I wanna encourage you to write these down. We're gonna talk about three things the wise men teach us about being an extravagant worshiper. Three things that the wise men teach us about being an extravagant worshiper. And the first one is this, extravagant worshipers go the distance. Extravagant worshipers go the distance. Now, before we get too much further into our story, let me, let me debunk a few myths about these wise men, all right? Despite what the picture on the front of your Christmas card this year shows, or despite all of the pieces that came with your nativity set, the wise men were not present at the birth of Jesus Christ. They, they were not there in the stable. They did not gather around the manger with Mary and Joseph and the animals and the shepherds. They just weren't there at that time. Uh, we, we don't know exactly where they were from, but we do know, according to the scripture narrative, that they were from somewhere in the east, possibly Persia, Babylon, somewhere of that area, and they would have traveled, scholars believe, they would have traveled for, for months or perhaps even over a year from their homeland in order to get to Bethlehem where Jesus was talking about literally moving outside of the boundary. And we do know that because they saw a star and followed it, that they were astronomers to some degree. They would have been very learned. They would have known about math and, and, and various different, um, different things in, in terms of uh, uh, being educated. But, but what that star was, we really don't know exactly what the star was that they followed. Some people believe that maybe it was planetary alignment, that at the birth of Jesus, that all of the planets in the solar system aligned and it caused a great light to be in the sky and that that is what they followed. That was the cue that tipped them off. Others believe that it could have been when the heavenly host and the, the angels came together to proclaim to the shepherds in the nearby hillside of Bethlehem that, that Jesus had been born, that maybe that was the light that appeared in the sky. And so when they saw that, then they began to follow it and that it led them to Bethlehem where Jesus was. And in our nativity scenes and in our Christmas cards, we typically have three wise men, right? Because we know that they brought three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We'll talk more about that later. But, but in all actuality, there was, there was likely more than three of them. We equate three wise men because of their three gifts. But, but as I've done some studying and some reading, um, I've learned that there, there could have been upwards of like 400 of these guys that traveled from their homeland to come and worship the baby. 
And when they, when they get to Bethlehem, verse 11 tells us that they entered a house to find Jesus, not a stable. It says that when they entered the house, then they bowed down and, and worshiped him. And so that lets us know that, that Mary and Joseph, they have transitioned from the stable that was the, that was the only availability at the time of the census, that when they traveled, there was no room for them in the end, that some time has passed and that they've transitioned into a house of their own, and that that is where these wise men come to find Jesus. And then when we read a little later in the story of of, of Matthew chapter 2, a little further down in in verse 16, we learn that, that Herod, King Herod, that he actually killed all of the baby boys in Bethlehem aged two and under. So that lets us know that it was likely that he, he got that determination from when the wise men told him that they saw the star appear. And so he's making his calculations and he wants to be sure that he's got all of his bases covered. And so he's taking the lives of, of all of the baby boys age two and under. So we know that we're, we're somewhere inside of this two-year time frame. So, so if we split the difference, we're talking about the wise men coming on this scene and and Jesus is probably somewhere around 18 months old is our best guesstimation. But despite all of the uncertainty surrounding these wise men and where Jesus was and how old he was and all of these things and, and the star that they followed, what we do know for sure is that when they saw the star, whatever it was, they dropped what they were doing, they left their lives behind, And they traveled a great distance to go and worship Jesus. See, here's the deal with extravagant worship. Extravagant worship has no excuses. Extravagant worship doesn't say, I'm too busy. It's too far. It's it's too early. It's too uncomfortable. It's too whatever your excuse might be. If you're gonna be an extravagant worshiper, you gotta be willing to go the distance. You gotta be willing to push the excuses to the side. There is nothing else more important than getting to where I need to be so that I can worship. The wise men cross the boundaries of other countries in order to worship Jesus, but in this day and age, we struggle to even cross the street. We wanna shake our fist at God and say, God, why haven't you moved in my life? Why haven't you moved in my situation when the whole time God's looking at us and saying, no, why haven't you moved? Why haven't you come to me? So going the distance to, to become an extravagant worshiper, it takes on the mindset that whatever it takes, if I have to get up early, if I have to stay up late, If I have to travel a far distance, wherever it is, whatever it is, God, I just want more of you. I just long to be in your presence, and that is my number one priority. So whatever it takes, I'm willing to go the distance to be with you and to worship you. Extravagant worshipers have to be willing to go the distance. The second thing that we learn from the wise men about extravagant worship is that extravagant worshipers have to get humble. We have to get humble. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, worship ain't about you. 
We gotta get humble. Humility means that, that we take a back seat. It means that we're yielding to something else. Worship is not about us. And in verse 11 of our passage there in Matthew chapter two, it says, they bowed down and worshiped him. We paint the picture of, of this scene that's taking place. We've, we've got these, these, these wise men, these, these magi. They would have been well-educated. They would have been obviously very wealthy in order to be able to travel that many people such a long distance. They would have been people of great influence. And these were grown men, all right? Well-educated, wealthy, influential, grown men that show up at the side of a crib and they bow down and worship a baby. Imagine the scene at that house in Bethlehem, just this tiny little town, overlooked, outcast. Imagine the scene when 400 plus camels decked out to the hilt roll up and park in the front yard, right? At the house of a poor carpenter. And the next door neighbors are like peeking through their blinds. They're like, What's going on at Joseph's house? <laughs> they're getting on the phone and they're calling, did you see? They're checking Facebook, you know, for like the thread of like what's going on. And uh, did listening to the police scanner, what's going on over there? See, the whole time, the whole time Jesus, he was in the house next door, but the people, they didn't even know. The king had come. And that didn't get their attention. What got their attention is who are these foreigners that have come from, from lands beyond to come and what's going on in that house? He'd been right there the whole time and they had no idea. And see, at first look, when we, when we see these wise men in their, in their royal robes and, and, and garments carrying their treasure chests and everything, it, it seems that, that they were the ones to be exalted and lifted up, yet they humbled themselves and got low at the feet of the Christ child, a baby. And first, these wise men, they went to Jerusalem, the capital city, because that's where the king should be, right? It was the center of, of, of military power and, and the hub of the economy and the government. And when they got there and they met with King Herod, they, they could have just worshiped him. Like, after all, he was the king, it would have added to their notoriety. It, it, would have, it would have given them political influence, would have gained them prestige, et cetera. The list goes on and on of the benefit of, of, well, we're here and we're in the presence of King Herod. Why don't we just worship him? But instead, they chose to go away from capital city, bustling with all of the noise and the crowds out into the country to the lowly town of Bethlehem to worship a baby. See, in this picture and in, the, in this story, Bethlehem was, was in juxtaposition to the city of Jerusalem. It was a small village. It was the last place that anyone would ever expect to find a king. Often it's described as humble. Micah in the Old Testament calls it small or little. And when you look up that word in the original language, it, it literally means insignificant. 
Other passages of scripture link this term and, 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 and uh, this, this prophecy with the words weak, despised, lowly, least. The question is, are you and I, are we willing to humble ourselves in the worship of Jesus? Will we worship him in the midst of our weakness? Will we worship him though we are despised for doing so? Will we worship him without any kind of recognition? We're just lowly, overlooked, out of the way. When there's seemingly nothing in it for us, will we humble ourselves to worship? Psalm 138 verse six says, for though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. In Proverbs 3, 34, we read, toward the scorners, he is scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor. Proverbs 29, 23 says that one's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. James 4 and 6 says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And in Matthew 23, verse 12, Matthew writes, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. If we want to be an extravagant worshiper, we've got to realize that it's not about us. We've got to get humble. We've got to be willing to go the distance. And the third thing that we learn from the wise men about extravagant worship is that we've got to give our best. We've got to give our best. Verse 11 says, They opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When I think about these these gifts that were given and I think about giving our best, I I think about what I always tell my kids. I told my kids from the beginning when they started school or when they've they've been in sports or anything, I've I've always told them, no matter what, like the score of the game, the outcome doesn't matter. The grade that you get on the test or the report card, that doesn't matter. The only thing that matters to me is I want you to be able to walk away from that game. I want you to be able to to walk away from that test or whatever it is. And I want you to be able to look me in the eye and say, Dad, I did my best. The outcome doesn't matter. If it's your best, that's what matters. And the wise men, they opened their treasure chest and they gave their best. Three gifts, gold, which represents royalty. It signifies Jesus as our king. They gave frankincense, which was an aromatic resin that would have been burned in the ancient temple as a pleasing aroma unto the Lord. And this signifies Jesus as our high priest. You remember maybe the story from the New Testament that when Jesus dies on the cross, when he breathes his last, that that the veil in the temple that separated the the common folk from the holy of holies, that it it was torn in two and no longer did the people have to go to the high priest in order to gain access to God because Jesus was the one and only sacrifice. And so he had flung wide open the gate and now you and I, we could step into the holy of holies, into the direct 
direct presence of God because of the work that Christ did on the cross because he is our high priest. And then they gave him myrrh, which was a gum resin with a pungent odor that was used as an embalming agent. That as bodies would begin to decay, this, this smell of myrrh would take over and it would, it would help to mask the rotting flesh inside of the tombs. And this symbolizes Jesus as our Savior and points us to his death. They kneel down and they place these gifts before this little baby boy showing that he's our king, he's our high priest, he's our savior. And it isn't known for sure whether or not the wise men were aware of the specific future for the child they were worshiping or or what the scriptures even prophesied would become of him. They may not have known, but what I know to be certain is that in our worship of him today, he's either all three, king, high priest, and savior, or he's none. We worship him as all three, or we worship him as nothing. And what's interesting to me about these gifts that they brought is that Matthew lists them in order of their value from least to greatest, Right, So that tells us that, that in that time, and, and you can do some studies and, and scholars have, 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 sto- have shown and, and, and done studies and everything that, that gold was actually the least valuable gift that they brought and then the frankincense and then the myrrh placing the highest value on his death that, that he is our savior. Many scholars believe that these gifts altogether would, would have equaled somewhere in the vicinity of, of between two and three million dollars. Why would we give that to a baby? Well, because prophetically it recognized who he was going to become. But practically, it financed his family's trip for when they had to flee Bethlehem and go to Egypt to escape the wrath of Herod, paid for their living expenses, their traveling expenses from Bethlehem to Egypt and then ultimately Egypt back to Nazareth. But regardless of all of that, the important principle here that we learn from the wise men is that our worship is going to cost us something. Our worship is going to cost us. Worship is going to cost us our time. It's going to cost us our talent. To worship God, it's going to cost us our treasure. It will cost us our testimony. And the problem with all of that is a lot of people want the benefit of the blessing without participating in the discipline of the sacrifice. But worship will cost us something. And this baby that's been born invites us to come to give, a, give him our best. But are we gonna give him the best of us? Or are we just gonna give him the rest of us? What's it gonna be? See, I believe it demands our best because God gave us his best through sending his one and only son, Jesus. If we wanna be an extravagant worshiper, We'll give our best to. We'll be willing to get humble. We'll do whatever it takes to go the distance.
recently I was listening to a message from Pastor Robert Morris, who pastors Gateway Church in Texas, and he was actually talking about the three wise men, and he, he brought up something that I'd never realized or even considered before, and it's just too good to not share with you today, so consider this one a bonus, I guess. When the wise men first showed up in Jerusalem, they had to depend on other people, the, the religious leaders of the day, to tell them of the things of God. They, they showed up and they said, where is the Messiah going to be born? And, and the religious leaders came together and opened the scriptures and told them of the prophecy. But after they had visited Jesus, God speaks to the wise men directly. He warns them in a dream, don't go back to Herod, take another route home. And see, it, it wasn't that as they followed the star that they didn't have the desire. The desire was there. But the difference was their worship. See, before they had worshiped, they had to depend on someone else to interpret the scriptures to point the way to Emmanuel, God with us. But after they worshiped, God shows up to them directly. It wasn't just any worship. It was worship out of extravagance. It was an all-in kind of worship. It was a worship that was, that was willing to move beyond the boundaries, to go the distance, to get humble, to give their best gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And whenever you and I, whenever we choose to go beyond the boundaries and give him our worship, God then moves beyond the boundary as well. God moved beyond the boundary by sending his one and only son to die in our place so that we could experience the extravagant gift of eternal life. And it was this act of extravagant love that demands our most extravagant worship. The first step for you and me to move beyond the boundaries and to enter into extravagant worship is by bringing the very best of what we have to offer and that starts right here with our hearts. It's the most valuable thing that we have that we could give to anyone. And this morning, the Lord's inviting us to give it to him, to put him in first place. Our, our heart represents all of us. And, and if we want to worship him extravagantly, we first have to put him in the right position. That starts with us giving him our heart and asking him to be Lord of our life. With every head bowed all over this room. If that's you today, say, Pastor Blake, I want to be that kind of worshiper. I want to be that kind of person. I want to be, I want to I I follow in the footsteps of the example that the wise men have set. And this Christmas, I want to receive the most extravagant gift, the gift of eternal life. In return, 
for that relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm willing to surrender my life to him, to give him my heart, to ask him to be my Lord and Savior. If that's you, just right where you are, just slip up your hand. Put it right back down. Just put it up and you can put it right back down. You're just identifying to the Lord, hey, this is my intentions. This is where I'm at. Is there anyone else this morning? If that's you today, whether you raised your hand or not, if your intention is to surrender your heart unto the Lord, to take that step outside the boundary to become an extravagant worshiper, I want to invite you to pray this prayer along with me. If you need the words, they're going to be on the screen behind me. Let's pray this together. Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. I believe that Christ died in my place, making a way for us to have a relationship. And I choose to follow Jesus and his way for the rest of my life. Amen. You know, just like those wise men of old, you and I, we've been given the opportunity to step out of our place, to come, to get low, to bow before the Christ child, to be an extravagant worshiper. And I can't think of a better way for us to close out this service, the last service before Christmas and worship together than for us to just stand all over this house and just declare extravagantly our worship unto him. So I invite you to stand. The band's gonna lead us in song. And let's worship the Lord together. Going all in, holding nothing back. Let's choose to be extravagant worshipers in this place this morning. Let's sing together. Thank you for joining us. We hope you were inspired by the message. For more information, visit www.thechristwalk.com.